Let us go ahead now, worshiping God, with the uh, preaching of God's word. I think it's why we are here is to listen to God, hear His word, be encouraged. And in light of recent events in uh, of the Ukraine war, and seeing how much this war has affected the world, especially believers, I wanted to shed some light about world events such as these. This war has prompted some believers to comment on the possible eschatological meaning behind it. Many have been very vocal about what it all means. Well, today I hope that I pray that we are enlightened about our posture and what, how it should look like when these things happen. And what better way to do so than to hear about proper eschatology from our own Lord Himself. So let us open our Bibles to the book of Matthew, chapter 24, verses 3 to 14. Now, for context's sake, I will start reading from the first verse. Follow along. Jesus left the temple and was going away when His disciples came to point out to Him the buildings of the temple. But he answered them, You see all these things, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here any one stone upon another that would not be thrown down. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines And earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will rise and lead many astray. And because of lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and and then the end will come. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come this morning to worship you, honor you, exalt you. You are Lord over all. Lord, today we want to know, we want to be encouraged by the idea and the truth that you are over all things. Nothing moves in this earthly kingdom, in this earthly realm, without you saying so. Lord, sometimes in our humanity, we are overwhelmed, fearful of of the unknown. And sometimes we fall into the trap of speculating things that we are not to. Refocus us this morning. Encourage us to focus to the things that matter. Heavenly things. Righteous things. 
things that are, are from above. Jesus, you are king over all things. We are expectant of your, of your coming. That is what we look for, the sign of your coming. Lord, help us today and understand these things. That only could come from the uh, enlightenment of the Holy Spirit. We trust in you. And it is in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. So, Jesus, to give you a little bit of context, Jesus just left the temple. He just denounced the hypocrisy of religious leaders. In the parallel passage of Mark 13, we find that Peter, James, John, and Andrew were with him. And they were marveling at the beauty of the temple. Now, this was the second temple, or also known as Herod's temple. And according to scholars and historians, it was a beauty of a building. It is recorded that Herod himself was restoring the second temple and adding more buildings to the temple. He actually did that with white marble, big stones, and huge amounts of gold. So much so that historians record that when seeing the temple from a distance, you would think it was full of snow. And the gold was so much that when it reflected the sun, it was blinding. That the, and then it was, it was, this was a spe- spectacle to see. It was a, a, a world marvel. The disciples, wanting to share their excitement, said, Teacher, look, what massive stones, what impressive buildings. Jesus replied in the second verse of Matthew 24, Do you see all these things? Truly I tell you, not one stone will be left here on another that would not be thrown down. To which the disciples, full of wonder and intrigue, asked him, Tell us, when will these things happen? And what is the sign of your coming and the end of the age? The disciples immediately associated the destruction of the temple with the end of the age, with the second coming. Jesus, being the prophet, answers the two questions in this chapter 24. Now, Jesus gives them a look into the future events. Especially events that would happen prior to the destruction of the temple and the end of the age. Now, now that we have a background, let me give you two disclosures this morning. First, I won't be giving a position on eschatology, meaning I won't be explaining whether we ought to believe the pre-millennialist view or post-millennialist or amillennialist point of view. That's not what I'm doing. Nor I will be discussing any rapture position, whether you believe in pre-tribulation rapture, mid-tribulation rapture, or post-tribulation rapture. I'm not going to do that this morning. Second, I will simply do what Jesus did. He was more concerned about the hard posture of his believers than giving out a specific timeline. Jesus was less, less concerned about a timeline and more concerned about how the believer ought to endure and live with expectancy. I believe that this is how we ought to see eschatology. Most of the time, we miss the big picture, picture trying to figure out every single detail giving, given to us by Scripture. Jesus answers the questions with general characteristics of the end of times, but spends more time giving us instructions on how we ought to be in sad times. Half of chapter 24 and, and full, the full chapter of 25 is filled with parables for us, the believers, on how our heart posture should be during these times, the times of trouble. So that was his concern, not so much a timeline. 
hopefully you're getting where I'm leading to. Now the title of the sermon is, The Christian Posture in World Events. In this passage, I want to answer two questions of my own. That it may help us understand the big picture and purpose of eschatology. First question is, where are we in history? Today, 2022, where are we in the redemptive story in history? Second, what is our stance when world events take place? Let me answer the first one. Where are we in history? Notice in verse 3 that disciples, disciples, as I said earlier, mistakenly associated the destruction of the temple with the second coming of Christ. We know that this was not so because Jesus separates both in the passage. And also history tells us that the temple was pummeled to the ground by the Roman army in 70 AD but under the rule of Titus. So if the destruction of the temple did not mark the end of the age, what will? Well, it is widely recognized that the end of the age will come when our Lord comes back as a conquering king. What we call the second coming. What we need to define is the term of the end of the age. So that we can understand where are we in the redemption timeline. So it doesn't take us by surprise. So that we don't speculate New Testament language tells us very clear that the two, there are two ages, the present age and the coming age. When the Bible talks about the present age, it depicts the time period from the first coming of our Lord to the second coming of Christ. That's the present age. We find many examples of these types of language. For instance, Mark 10.30 Jesus talking about the rewards of men who leave everything for the gospel. But, but that he will receive a hundred times as much now in the present age. Houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and farms. Along with persecutions. And the age to come, eternal life. And Paul talking about how Christ our Lord saved us from the sins of the present age said in Galatians 1, 3, and 4, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and, that Je- and the Je- Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. Maybe in Titus two twelve, where Paul is instructing Christians how to live a godly life in the present age. He says, training us up to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Hopefully you're getting it. We're living in the present age. So as you can see, the present age is, is the age in which sin is present. And the coming age is that time after Christ's second coming for which we have been saved for. Galatians 2, 6, 7 says, And raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming age, or coming ages, He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Get it? Present age is the, sin, is the age where sin is abundant. But there will be an age where we will no longer be a part of of the pressures of sin. 
We should all be expectant of that age to come. Now, continuing the passage of uh, Matthew 24, verse 4 and on, Jesus starts describing social and world events that would have major impact in the present age. Events such as wars, rumors of wars, animosity towards the believers, false prophets predicting the end of the world and the coming of our Lord, many scoffers, those who despise goodness and love wickedness. All of which we have seen throughout the history of the church and will continue to see until the coming of our Lord. That's the norm. Jesus is preparing the hearts of his disciples for things that will become the norm in the present age. It's normal. These things are, we ought to expect. Shouldn't take us by surprise that a war all of a sudden emerges. This was predicted. The Lord tells them that these wars and rumors of wars and false prophets will be only but birth pains. They are signs for us believers that every time we hear of these things, wars, earthquakes, famines, pestilences, natural disasters, that we are that much closer to His coming. The Lord also tells them in verse 9, Then they will deliver you up to tribulation. The key word there, tribulation, and the believer should expect tribulation. It is normal to see these things come to pass. In this, in this present age, we have seen countless, countless wars. Gone through two major world wars, and still the end has not come. All of a sudden we hear of a war in Ukraine and many Christians proclaim that the, world, the end of the world is near. And it could be, but it's not for me to decipher, nor yours. But what is not acceptable is to speculate and hypothesize about the second coming of, of Christ and the end of all things. Hmm. What, it is, what it is clear is that we are living in what the Bible calls the present age, Also the age of tribulation. John the Apostle in the islands of Patmos believed he was living in the age of tribulation. He says, I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus. So if John thought that he was in the tribulation age, what makes us think we won't suffer such things? So where are we in the history of redemption? We are in the present age. The tribulation age. And the age where sin is rampant within humanity. Are we in the end of times? Absolutely. We have been. Ever since the ascension of our Lord. We have been. And in this present age we find much tribulation. But there is hope. As our Lord said. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have, what? Peace. In the world you will have tribulation. Listen up, tribulation. It is coming. But take heart, I have overcome the world. That is the hope that He has overcome. And by association we have overcome 
And that is the right posture when we think about eschatology and the end of things. That our Lord has defeated sin and death for our sake. And when these world events, whether wars and rumors of wars, pestilences, false teachers, we know that our Lord is greater than all of these things. Ephesians, Ephesians 1, 20, 21 tells us this, that He, the Father, worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Don't be alarmed. Be at peace. He's in control. Putin is not in control. Biden is not in control. Xi Jinping is not in control. They are not in control. Jesus is in control. That is our hope. Now, that's the first question, and hopefully I gave you a pretty good answer. Now, second question I want to answer today. What is our stance when world events take place? And this is the practical matter. This is where it hits home. Our Lord gives us practical ways to approach world events. The world of today is a very connected world. Technology has allowed us to know instantly what is going on on the other side of the globe. We turn on the news and something new new is going on every single day. It is normal and it's our human nature to be alarmed. Just two years ago, we went through COVID, wildfires everywhere, hurricanes, and now war. Jesus warned that before his coming, the heart of men will fail them with great fear and perplexity because of the world events that would occur before the great day of the Lord. But the Lord tells his disciples what their mindset should be like, what our mindset should be like. And I'm going to give you some examples. First, be aware of false prophets and don't be troubled. Jesus warned of wars and rumors of wars. And he emphasized that these things must take place. But at the end, it's not yet. Listen to that. Not yet. And every time we hear of wars and rumors of wars, all of a sudden you see all these cyber prophets and supposed televangelists and your modern day uh, apostles come out with their uh, come out of the caves with the opportunity to conjuncture up uh, their theological theories and how this particular war preludes to the end of the, of the world they become very elaborate too they're very astute in their ways and this is precisely what Jesus says to watch Watch for and not to be alarmed by their venom. Have you noticed that most of these end times ministries and prophets, all they do is sell fear mongering? That's all they do. While Jesus tells us quite the opposite. Don't be alarmed. These things have to pass. These things are meant to be beloved Putin and whoever it is in command will not cause the end of the world. Human might, human weapons will not cause the end of the world. That honor and glory only belongs to our Lord. The end of the world will come swiftly. It will be cataclysmic. 
in one single event. In verse 29, Jesus says, Immediately after the days of tribulation, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of heaven will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will be gathered, gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. That is the event that will finish it all, not ourselves. Not by human hands. That glory only belongs to our Lord Jesus Christ. Not to Putin, not to Ukraine, not to Russia. I don't care who comes next. Believe that. Take that to the bank. We have to clear out all speculations. Well, glory and honor belongs to Him. Don't be fooled, beloved. Let no one deceive you. The end comes by the might of our Lord. Number two, we must endure as if we were the last generation. Beautiful thing about Scripture is that many generations passed and read this same Matthew 24. Many believed that they were in the end of times and they were the last generations. But I, I believe God did this on purpose. Because every believer that reads this must believe that they are the last generation. Live as if we were the last generation. To live with expectancy. Not, me, not me in a mediocre way. Not sitting down in the sidelines. To be surprised by the Lord doing righteous and godly things. Now our Lord gives us characteristic of the human hearts in the last days. Men will betray one another and their hearts will grow cold as ice. People are and will be hostile to God, the gospel and believers. And in a world that is ruled by sin, it is only logical that believers will suffer persecution. It's it's always happened. Since the ascension of our Lord... Until now, it's happened. We just tend to forget these things. Look to China. Look to the Middle East. Look to Africa. Look to places where they're very hostile to the gospel and believers. Just because we live in a country that allows us some certain freedoms, we tend to forget and turn our eyes to those things. But it happens. And we just think about America, and we think that, oh, when persecution comes to America, that, that must be the end. Beloved, this has been happening for thousands of years. There's nothing new. Paul in 2 Timothy 3.13 says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. All who want to live a righteous and godly life will be persecuted in one way, shape, or another. We, those who are living in the end of times, the present age, we must persevere and endure a wicked and evil generation. We endure by standing firm to our beliefs, not in the philosophies and wicked thinking of the world. We hold fast to the sound teachings that were entrusted to us. We endure by living a godly life opposite to what the world 
teaches. In times of trouble and tribulation, such as the ones that we're living today, we must live according to the mercies, grace, and love that Christ showed us. We must be light in darkness and persevere even when the cost is too heavy. Beloved, when wars and famines happen, we must understand that we have a stance in all of this. We have a role to play. A higher role, a godly role, a heavenly role. We must be like the city on the hill where all of those who are lost and weary can seek refuge. This reminds me of an article that I read the other day on the Gospel Coalition about a pastor in Ukraine that chose to stay with his family to care for his countrymen. He did not stay to fight like many Ukrainians did, but to ultimately share the hope that he has in Jesus Christ. He said two things that deeply impacted me. And I was amazed on how he and his families are enduring, persevering in their faith, putting their gifts to play in times as these. And he said, while the church may not fight like the nation, we still believe we have a role to play in this struggle. Wow. Then he continued to say, we have decided to stay, both as family and as a church, when this is over, the citizens from Kiev will remember how Christians has, have responded in their time of need. That's deep. That's godly. That's not a man that's speculating about the future events. That's a man that is putting into practice biblical eschatology, biblical doctrine, bi- biblical theology. Let's not forget that. This is persevering and enduring in times of trouble, holding fast to their faith, sacrificing their well-being for the needs of others. And we are not like the ones that have no hope. Our hope is in Christ and in the gospel He gave us. My final point today. Our priority must be fulfilled. It must be the fulfillment of the Great Commission. In times of trouble, men don't need to hear fear-mongering, nor speculation. What men need in times like these are, is the unadulterated truth of the gospel. It is sad that some Christians use these times of trouble to speculate and exaggerate about the end of times. When in, our, in all reality, our mission and sole purpose in this present age is to preach the gospel and to fulfill the Great Commission. I've heard countless times Christians leaning on eschatology and fear-mongering to bring more people to Christ. Beloved, we don't need to show people that the world is upside down. They know. They know. But they need the truth. That the problem is not wars and rumors of wars. The problem is sin. What men, what men and women need to hear is that they are plagued with something more sinister than these things. Sin. Show them that the real reason for all this tribulation is sin. 
And that the reason they need a savior is the sickness of this cancer called sin. Don't lean in with how the world would end soon and that now is the time and that you must repent because Armageddon is upon you. Lead with the gospel. Lead, with, lead your conversation and preaching with the gospel with Christ and Christ alone. That it is only in Him that we find hope. That only in our King we find, find salvation and forgiveness of sin. And that sin puts us in enmity with a whole, holy, my, almighty God. And only Christ is the solution. Lean with the gospel, not fear-mongering. As Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. Don't speculate. Don't give fairy tales. Don't give your own presuppositions. Start with the gospel and end with the gospel. Our Lord declares in verse 14 of Matthew 24 that before His return, the gospel will be preached to all of the earth. And then the end will come. You want to see the end? Preach the gospel. (laughs) Preach the gospel. You want revival? And people come to Christ? Let me tell you, revival, most often than not, comes in times of trouble. And how the church, doing its primary job, preached the gospel. So in conclusion, Matthew 24 is not a precise timeline of the end of all things, but marks and characteristics of what the world will experience before the great and terrible day of the Lord. Jesus is more concerned about the heart of the believer and their stance in times such as these. Scatology, beloved, is more than a mere knowledge of Scripture and adhering to one of the millennial kingdom and rapture positions. So much more than that. But we die there. We die in that hill, right? We don't want to hear the other's position. We argue and we... That's not what it's all about. By the way, I'm not opposing that you have a position. I'm not opposing that at all. I think it's godly. I think you have to press on on these things. You should have a position. Absolutely. It's a godly things. But let us not forget that eschatology is more than that. Eschatology is mainly presented for two reasons. A reminder to the believer that Christ has won. He will return. And our hope lies only in Him. And second, to be encouraged to walk in godliness and faithfulness. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are fallible creatures. We fall into the trap of fear. But you have told us this thing so that we may have peace. Lord, we pray for Ukraine. We pray for Russia. We pray for our brothers and sisters who faithfully are practicing what they preach and what they read. Be with them. Keep them safe. Let them show the true gospel. 
Christ and Christ alone. May men and women now, because of this war, come to Christ and the need of Christ. May they see the light in those men and women that are faithfully walking in righteousness. Lord, us here today encourage us not to be fearful, not to speculate. The only truth that we really expect and know is that you're coming back. And Lord, we expect that day and we want you to find us in a position that is righteous in your eyes. Help us. We need you more than ever. Every generation, Lord, you know, goes through these trials and tribulations. And this is our time. Help us. Give us the strength. Equip us. Make us understand that this is just temporal. And that the things above are eternal. Give us the right perspective. Lord, lead us now. And may we practice these things the rest of the week. May we just now go home and talk about these things And we ponder about these things in our heart. Pray about it, Lord. Give us strength. Encourage us. Lord, it is in your name that we pray, Jesus. Amen.